right, John 6. We're, we've been looking at John 6 not, uh, cons- not sequentially, not co- uh, consecutively, but we've looked at the first two parts of John 6 over the last few months. Um, we've seen in John 6 the feeding of the 5,000, uh, a sign that Jesus performed on the far rural side of Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee, that's uh, kind of away from the, the cities there. Um, fed 5,000 people from one boy's lunch. Um, and everyone recognized that, that this was a miracle, enough so that they thought they should make him king. Uh, the, 12, the disciples collected 12 baskets of leftovers. And, and what happened then was that Jesus, when they, when they wanted to make him king, Jesus said, send the disciples away. Let's get them out of this temptation zone for, for local political power. Uh, so he sent the disciples away. They crossed the lake, and Jesus went off to pray. Remember that night... As the disciples were fighting against the waves and the wind on the sea, Jesus walked out there to them. Um, and that's when, that's when Peter said, please, give me the command so that I can walk out to you. And, and Jesus did that. Peter walked out to him, and then he began to sink when his faith faltered. Remember that. Um, but Jesus held him up. They got back in the boat. The winds calmed down, and they, they went where they were going. And that's, that's where we are. So the stage is set now for what happens next. It's the morning after the feeding of the 5,000, the morning after Jesus walked on the water for the disciples. You've got to think the disciples that are with Jesus are still thinking in their mind about the things that they've seen in the last 24 hours. Um, but Jesus has set up a situation for, for a really intense conversation that's going to happen. Um, I asked Brian if he would help me read this passage, but before we do that... I want to I want to kind of introduce this passage. It's a little bit longer than we typically do, uh, John six twenty two through uh, seventy or something like that. Um, but I want you to listen because there's a lot of voices coming in here. There's a narrator. That's John who's writing the gospel. There's and he's presenting. He's explaining. He's just laying out the conversation. Then there's the crowd, the crowd of people that are questioning. They're demanding things of Jesus. Then there's Jesus, and he's telling people things. He's challenging. He's pushing. He's responding, and honestly, he's repelling. Then you've got the Jews, the Pharisees, who are doubting, they're criticizing, they're challenging Jesus. Then you've got disciples, different classes, different groups of disciples, some grumbling, some actually abandoning. And then Peter, who finally in the last few verses just believes and follows. Um, These are the voices that we're going to hear in this passage. Um, And I broke it up so that that Brian and I can kind of... uh, read together and separate the voices somewhat from each other, but it's all just the straight text of Scripture. Um, Before we jump into that, let me just pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word doesn't just tell us what we expect. Father, sometimes your word surprises us and it surprised the people who who saw Jesus face to face and it surprises us today. Father, I thank you for the surprise and I, I pray for the faith for for us to embrace your word, to accept it, uh, to love it, to love you for the one who speaks truth to us. Uh, Father, be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, uh, you ready, Brian? On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, 
but that the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Psalm 78, 24. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How could this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. 
When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. And and thank you, Brian, for, for doing that with me. Brian did question uh, how it was that I thought I was the one that should read the Jesus part. Um, A a fair question, uh, to be sure. Um, Yeah. So this conversation is happening, and it's it's a real back and forth, and uh, it's kind of a hard one, really, especially for the the people listening, trying to understand what is Jesus saying here, what's he talking about. So the outline that I want to walk through you with through with you today, um, three points really. Jesus, the bread of life, gives life. Jesus, the bread of life, gives life. The second point, you can't earn this bread. It must be given. You can't earn it. It must be given. And the third point, you have to eat the bread for it to do any good. You have to eat the bread for it to do any good. So as we look into the text, uh, let's think about this. How do you approach Jesus? How do we approach Jesus? Are, are, we, are we like the crowd we're looking for, for goodies or we're looking for political answers? My goodness, if, if any time is a season for us to look for a political answer, it's right now. Are we, are we hoping to uh, have some control? Are we planning to control and, and seek confirmation for the things we already think? Or are we, are we coming to Jesus looking for an, a new answer? The disciples outside the twelve, they think they know the deal. And they're, they're offended by what, the things Jesus says. Are we coming like the Pharisees with, with well-constructed ideas about things? And we want to we argue and refute. And we want to debate. Um, or are we like Peter, who just takes it as hard as it is, just takes it. So let's think about that as we walk through. People... Uh, the people in the crowd are asking Jesus some hard questions. Just as we walk through the text, what are they asking? How did you get here? And we know the answer. Jesus doesn't really answer that question, how he got here. What, how did he get here? He walked <laughs> across the lake. Yeah, that's how he got there. They asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And that's a good question, good theological question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? And he, they asked, well, what sign will you do so that we will believe you? Interesting question, since he had just fed 5,000 people the day before, but they've got an idea. Hey, Jesus' psalm says the bread from heaven would be good. It's in the Bible, right? The Pharisees are asking, wait a minute. He says he came from heaven, but 
we know his parents. Uh, so how does he say he comes from heaven when we know his parents? And then how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What kind of crazy offensive talk is this? Flesh to eat? And then the disciples. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So we've got these questions coming up from the crowd, and then we've got Jesus, and he is the great teacher, right? But today he's giving hard answers. It's a hard lesson, and they're hard answers. They're not easy to understand. He's not breaking it down real nice for them. He's making it hard. But this Jesus, this bread of life, he gives life. Let's let's look at the things that he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures the eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. What's he doing there? He's, done, he's already seeing through their motive, right? You're not, you're not really interested in the truth. You're interested in free lunch like yesterday. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes shall never thirst. Does that remind us of the woman at the well that we've talked about recently, right? When she came to get water, and he said, well, if you had the water I would give you, you'd never have to get water again. You'd never go thirsty. And he's telling them the same thing. If you eat this food that I give you, you won't be hungry, and you won't thirst. He says, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Right? This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's saying a lot, a lot here. That the manna, which was a miracle from God to provide for the people, but it was just temporary. It fed their physical bodies, and then it was over, and those people are dead. And he's saying... But I am the bread that you eat, but you do not die. I'm the one that gives life. He's saying you care only about food, telling them. But I'm talking about something far more important. The physical food is just secondary importance to these great truths that he's doing the work of, of the harvest of souls that, that at, the, at the end of chapter 4 of, of John, after he talks to the lady... That's the great work that he's, he's going after then. So when they asked for Jesus to keep giving them bread, like the day before, Jesus said, I am the bread. Isn't that interesting? Uh, to me, when I think about these passages, we have the, the great I am statements in John. And we, if we do a good little Bible study and lay out the, the seven I ams, then we, we just read them out at I am this, I am this, I am this. But, but these things happen in a conversation. And in this one, like in John 14, I am the way, the truth, or the life, that wasn't in a vacuum. It wasn't Jesus just saying, oh, but disciples, by the way, here's a, little, here's a little Bible memory verse for you to write down. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, it came because his disciples, he was telling them, you know the way. You know the way. And his disciples said, no, we, we, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. Right? I'm the way. Don't tell me you don't know the way. I'm the way. And here... The disciples are, or the, these people, the crowd, are saying, Oh, sir, give us this bread. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bread. It's me. I'm the bread. Right? Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. That was good. That was a good miracle from God. 
but I'm the real bread that's going to give you real life. And they get it. They get the, the significance of what he's saying, and that's partly what's stirring up the controversy and the tension here. Um, he's, not being, uh, he's not being really gentle with them, actually. Like he was with the woman at the well. He was very gentle with her, wasn't he? With these people, it's not very gentle. He's being pretty tough. And it moves into this next point. When he says, you can't earn the bread, it must be given. Because, because in verse 28, then the crowd asks, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Have you ever seen people try to ask manipulating questions to try to get in good with somebody? Like with a teacher or somebody? I bet this teacher wants to hear me ask a question like this. So they're asking, okay, teacher, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And what does Jesus say? Well, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. Does that sound like work? Does that sound like work to believe? Probably not. Uh, as work, uh, believing seems like a passive thing to do. It's not, not very hard, not, not a lot of effort maybe. It doesn't feel like. And Jesus is saying that's the work. You believe. These are hard answers for the Pharisees because remember, the Pharisees have spent their life following the law. They're working to earn God's favor. And Jesus is saying, it's irrelevant. No. The work, of, the work that matters is to believe in the one he has sent. And by the way, that's me. Do you believe in me, Mr. Pharisees? That's the question. If you want favor with God, you have to believe in the one he has sent. Which, by the way, believing in the one that he has sent is believing God. God wants to be believed. So this crowd has demanded this sign. They move on then, and they say, how about this, Jesus? Psalm, Psalm 78, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Maybe that would be a good thing for you to do, to demonstrate who you are so we could put some trust in you. You know the ironic thing about that? They wanted him to do a, a repeat performance from the day before. And this Psalm 78 describes how God cared for Israel, though they were unfaithful in believing. The, the big theme in Psalm 78 is, is the unfaithfulness of Israel. That's, that's what they choose to quote to him, right? Probably, they probably could have done better, maybe. Because just a few verses later after the verse they quoted, and Jesus doesn't give this to them, though he knows in his mind. Psalm 78.32 says, In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. Paul tells us in Philippians, he reminds us of his qualifications religiously, right? He was a Benjamite. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous, so zealous for the things of, of God that he even persecuted people. That, that's how zealous Paul was. He had the credentials, and he says, it is all trash. It means nothing. It's worthless compared to knowing Christ. That's, that's what Paul learned after he became a believer. And, and that's what Jesus is telling them now. They don't want to hear this. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. So all the things you Pharisees are doing doesn't help. Doesn't help. The thing about this is, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, at least in, in the online class. I don't know if this point was brought up in the other class. But 
Um, this is a challenge for people to hear, especially religious people, because the more righteous you are on the outside, the harder this is, because you feel like, wow, all these things I do to be good, I've, they're not actually valuable towards me earning favor with God. That's, that seems like a bummer, Jesus, for you to tell me that. But it's the truth. And so if we have invested tons of time in our life in, in just being good to earn God's favor, we need to back up. And, and like Weston was saying in the, in the little devotional this morning, that the kind of people that God is looking for are people that know they're sinners and come broken. That's what God is looking for. Do you believe in Him? Or do you believe in your own self? Do you believe in your own ability to straighten yourself out? You don't have it. You don't have it. And he's, it gets harder, though. So Jesus is saying, now, you have seen me and still don't believe. The Father has promised a deliverer. Now he has sent the deliverer, and he's standing in front of you. You say you're looking for an answer, and here I am, but you still don't believe. Why? Why? And this is where it gets hard. Because the Father has not given them to Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. But no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws Him. And He, he expands on this. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So if, if God is speaking to them through the Spirit, then they're going to come to Jesus, but yet some of them are not coming to Jesus. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who, would, who did not believe and who it was who would betray. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. These are hard words for us. You know, the flesh eating and, and the blood drinking, that was hard for the Jews. But, but for us, that's a little bit easier because now we've seen the, we've seen the end of it. Um, so we, we understand that it was a, a metaphor, a great, powerful metaphor, but a metaphor. So metaphors are a little easier for us to deal with, right? Um, but for us, in our culture, we want to be in control. And Jesus is saying, no, you're actually not in control. How do you like that? It's tough. It's tough. Now, me in my Western mind, I would like to think, let me just let me figure this whole thing out, right? And brothers and sisters, there's, there's been 500 years and more of debate on how does this work? How does God's sovereignty and the will of man interact to cause salvation to happen? And I don't think I'm going to solve it for you today, right? But, but Jesus is giving us hard, hard words that we have to face. If we trust Scripture and if we love Jesus, we've got to listen to His Word. So we've we got, we got to think about these things. Different denominations have come up with different views. Presbyterians and Methodists and, and Southern Baptists haven't really taken a firm stand either way. In fact, we have seminaries that, that go hard one way and another seminary that goes hard the other. It's kind of funny. Um, so there's, there's controversy there. But you know what? We're still Southern Baptists. We still love each other. Is, are we wishy-washy? Are we doctrinally weak and unable to come up with the answer on this? I, I, don't, I don't really believe so. I think, um, I think we recognize there's a mystery here. I think we're kind of settling into Peter's role a little bit and saying, Jesus, oh, these are hard things. But I know that you have the answers, and, and I'm going to trust you for them. Um, 
I would say it's okay for us to talk about these things. It's okay for us to dig in. It's even okay for us to take a position as long as we understand how authoritative our position can be as on this side of heaven, right? However salvation happens in God's providence and in the hearts of men and women, we rejoice in God's mercy and we pray for more to come to belief. And let me encourage you in this. Seek the truth in Scripture. Take a position if you feel like you can, but remember to keep secondary things secondary. Um, Love your brothers and sisters more than you love your secondary doctrines um, of how salvation works. Love Jesus himself more than you love your interpretation of the Scriptures. He scolded the Pharisees about this. He said, you you seek the Scriptures looking for your, your life, looking for eternal life, but you don't come to me. Right? Jesus is saying he is the one. The Scriptures are about him. So we worship Jesus. We trust the Scriptures, but we don't worship the Scriptures. We worship the one the Scriptures are written about. Right? Yeah. We love this Word because it's, it's from our God to us. But we don't worship the Word. We worship Jesus. And we certainly don't worship our personal interpretation of this Word. <laughs> Finally, this third point. You have to eat the bread for it to do any good. Right? This weekend started to feel like fall, and before long, it's going to be Thanksgiving time, uh, the season of family feasts. So we're going to have family feasts to go to. I'm sure many of you will. Some of you will be preparing the feasts, and some of you will be attending. But can you imagine going home to mom's house, and she's prepared this feast and says, sit down and eat, and you say, no, I would like to, I would like to argue and, and debate about the recipes and the proportions and stuff. I can really appreciate it from a distance. She'd say, no you're going to sit down and you're going to eat. You're going to eat this food, right? If you sat down and refused to eat mom's cooking, you would hurt her feelings. That would be offensive. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. You know, his his flesh that he has given for us costs a lot. And he's saying, it's here. Eat. Right? Right? Jesus told the crowd while teaching in the synagogue, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews or the Pharisees, they didn't like this language. And it's not hard to understand why, right? That, even, even today, even understanding the metaphor, when you, when you walk through this text, and even I was kind of conscious about it, even as I read the text this morning, how many times did I say blood and flesh? It just felt... Did you notice that? It just felt like, wow, there's a lot of blood and flesh going on in this passage. It just feels kind of weird talking about it. And Jesus did it on purpose. right? He wasn't trying to make people comfortable. He was trying to provoke. right? So the Jews and the Pharisees didn't like this language. He could have made it easier for them. He could have just said, oh, guys, it's a metaphor. Did you notice he didn't do that? He didn't do that. In fact, when they said... Wait, what? drink your blood and eat your flesh. He said, yeah, that's right. You heard me right. You, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no life. <sighs> so those guys were not liking this. We know how it played out. We, we understand. You know, it's not cannibalism. Jesus was making a very strong metaphor. And, and remember, just like back in chapter 3 with Nicodemus, he told Nicodemus straight up, 
you have to be born again. And Nicodemus said, uh, I don't know how that would work, Jesus. And, and Jesus didn't exactly say it was a metaphor, but he said, you have to be born of the Spirit. And Jesus goes on with that same kind of language here, right? He talks about the words I'm giving are spirit, and they are life. This is an echo. It's an echo of the Nicodemus conversation. It's an echo of the woman at the well conversation. We've got, we've got bread and food, bread and drink that never ends and sustains forever. And we have the, the distinction between what's physical and what's fleshly versus what's spiritual and what gives true life. He's saying, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me and I in him. He didn't soften it. He escalated it until people left him. Until people left him. We talked about this this morning in Sunday school. I guess our modern term for them leaving him, he got unfollowed, right? He got unfollowed. He was not a salesman hoping to grow his crowd. He was in full truth-telling mode, and he was willing to drive away people who weren't willing to listen. And then he turned to the twelve. And it specifically says, to the twelve. And he said, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter asked, or answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've believed, and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Remember what's in his mind just from the night before. This is literally the morning after he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Right? So... After that night, Jesus could say just about anything, and Peter's not ready to walk away. Peter's answer is amazing. I, love, I just love this. He's not saying, oh, I understand. This all makes sense now. That is exactly what he's not saying. He's saying, this is horrifying. I don't understand. Everyone is leaving, but I have come to know you. I have seen the power of your signs. I know that you are the very Son of God, and I know that you have the power of life. Checkmate. You win. I may understand. I may not understand, but I may not even like what you're saying. But I'm following you. This talk of eating your flesh and drinking your blood, it turns my stomach. But I've seen you heal lame people, blind people, people near death. Yesterday and last night, I saw you feed 5,000 people and walk on water. That's where Jesus, that's where Peter's at. All right? So have you, have you heard the expression, you are what you eat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about this. And it's scriptural. That's, that doesn't come from scripture, by the way. We talked about false proverbs <laughs> earlier. But you know what does come from scripture is this idea that you become like what you worship. That, that's from Isaiah. When you eat beef, you don't become a cow. But the flesh of the cow gives you sustenance and strengthens your body, right? And in, in, in a real way, it becomes part of you, right? Sorry, hon. <laughs> Connie doesn't like to think about where things come from sometimes. She's probably not, she's probably not digging this sermon. But it's a metaphor. But, but you can't eat meat without the animal giving up its life. And that is a key thing here, right? Your, your meal of meat cost the animal its life. That is a remarkable thing to think about. 
And that is a critical key point of this whole, this whole picture. Eating Jesus' flesh is accepting the sacrifice. When you eat the meat of the animal, you're accepting that sacrifice. You're, you're taking that sacrifice completely into your body, making it a part of you. And eating Jesus' flesh, to say that, to do that, that is to fully embrace and accept his sacrifice for us because he died to pay for our sins. So when Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, it means I recognize that he died for me. I fully accept it. I embrace it. I take it in to my deepest parts. And it changes you and it redefines you. I have a few more things to conclude. If I could have the musicians come on up before we close. When the Israelites were wandering in the desert without food, God fed them by a miracle. This food was spread on the ground like snow or dew, and the people called it manna, which means, what is it? And when Jesus showed up in Capernaum, he told them he was the bread of life. But much like the Israelites from 1,400 years before, they couldn't figure him out. They wanted to know what he was, who he was. So some sought to manipulate him to solve their problems. Give us, give us free food. They were willing to give him political power in exchange, which probably isn't a bad trade, but Jesus didn't come to make deals. Some wanted to argue with him, have debates about theology, and accuse him of blasphemy even. But Jesus didn't really come to debate. Some wanted Jesus to give them a how-to guide, self-help, how-to. How can I earn God's favor? But Jesus told them, no, you can't do that. That's not possible. Jesus came to give his life. That's why he came. His very body as a sacrifice, a bloody, messy, dirty, savage sacrifice performed by the most powerful empire in the world on behalf of us. And he told us that if we would be saved, we must accept that. Embrace it. Take it in. Eat his flesh. Drink his blood. No wonder he offended. So just as he told Nicodemus he must be born again, he tells the crowd in Capernaum that they must eat his flesh. He speaks in wild metaphors, but he also clearly states, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. This is not a metaphor. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. So how do you respond to Jesus? Do you want to demand favors in this world, comfort, good relationships, a good job? Like Weston was asking earlier, what are you putting your trust in? What are you willing to trade with Jesus? But you know what? Jesus doesn't make deals. Do you want to dissect his words and argue about free will and predestination? you want to label everybody and know so that you can know who you disagree with? Jesus understands these mysteries that we have argued about for centuries. Or will you be like Peter? Admit defeat. Jesus, you win. However it works, you win. You have the words of life. I can figure out the details later. You can help me. I trust you. I'll follow you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Father, I pray that you open our minds and our hearts. I pray, Father, that when we hear hard words in Scripture, that we will love you more for it. Father, though they challenge us, Father, those words were spoken in truth and in love because you came to, you came to die for us. 
And I pray, Father, that we will come to know that, embrace it, love it. Help us to see how to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus, our Savior. Give us life that never goes away. In Jesus' name, amen.